Warning, this episode contains foul language, mentions of suicide, sexual assault, accidental death, and hitchhiking ghosts. are listening to Keep It Weird, the podcast for all things strange, unusual, magical, thrilling, mysterious, and maybe even a little queasy. <laughs> <laughs> and each week we sit down and we chat about something weird. And this week we are continuing on with our Disney series. You heard us talking on our last episode about Walt Disney himself and some of those classic films that he made. But this week is all about the happiest place on earth. We are headed out to the Disney parks, talking all things bizarre involving the rides, the employees, the visitors, the rumors, the lore, and more. So get that fanny pack, your favorite mouse ears, and your comfiest sneakers, because we have a big journey ahead as we walk through all things theme parks. My name is Lauren, and this is my co-host, Ashley. Hi, weirdos. And weirdos. Guess what? Guess what? We finally have a very special guest on the podcast, and it only took five years, <laughs> but we locked him down. I am so happy to introduce you to probably the biggest Disney fanatic you will ever meet, and a lover of all things involving themed entertainment and magical experiences, my sweet husband, Alex Ogle. Hello. There he is. <laughs> um, I swear thank you. I exist. I'm real. Yeah, I I have I want to know what your listeners that don't know me think of me because I assume they think I'm like a terrible person, a real jerk who doesn't yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't want to um, come on his wife's podcast, who doesn't want to come and Alex works a real boy job. <laughs> he um, does. Which... He is a very busy man. He was in Shanghai for two months. That's also yeah. A nice and excuse. why were you in Shanghai for two months? Well, are you ready for my life story? Yes, um, <laughs> please. Yes, I am obviously here because, as Lauren said, I am a fan of Disney mm-hmm. and have been like a casual fan of Disney for most of my life. I was going to say lifetime. And I, you know, you could tell me if this is too much because I've always imagined telling these stories on a podcast, but just didn't expect it to be one about murder and... <laughs> Aliens? A dark podcast? Yes. Yeah. We're going to talk about some ghoulies. But I was the oldest in, of three kids, and when I was 13, my family finally planned our first trip to Disney World. Oh, snap. And it was, like, late for most yeah, families. For, yeah. Like, my youngest, my brother I was... I went at four. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my brother was probably, what, like, how old is he? Eight or nine at the time. I know. I don't, I don't know. remember how much Lauren knows his birthday more than I do. <laughs> um... <laughs> I Matt, keep the family no, I know, calendar. I know what it Matt, is. I swear oh, I know I your swear. birthday. Matt, I love I you. swear I know how old um, you are. But yeah, so we went to Borders, and this was like before the internet. Mm-hmm. And we went to Borders, and they were like, Alex, you're the oldest. We're going to buy the planning guide for the trip, mm-hmm. the book, and you're going to read it's it. It's your job. And you're going to decide what hotel we're going to stay in. You're going to decide that is a lot what of responsibility day we go, for where, what rides we do in, in what order and everything. 
and I dove into it and like burned through it really quickly and and started telling my parents what where to spend their money. Um, <laughs> he was like, I'm, I'm now your financial planner. <laughs> and uh, if we want to save $30. <laughs> in some ways, that experience and the timing that it happened in like even the history of the world was like, just reading this book was the only way I could learn about what Disney World was going to be like and what these rides were going to be yeah. like. So in my mind, my imagination just got to kind of fill in the gaps of between what was written or like imagine okay like you ride a rocket into space like right. what is like, that excuse mean? me yeah. yeah and so i feel like i kind of imagined the greatest thing in every case and then we went to disney world and had an awesome trip and and a great time um going on everything and, and doing everything um and in some cases things like lived up to my expectations in yeah. some cases things didn't in some cases it exceeded my expectations yeah. in but some it was cases still... you were like what the fuck was a small <laughs> yeah, world all about that was kind better. of creepy uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. well and i think like it was just cool to first like interact with all of those stories and imagine those things in that way and and like then kind of set me on this path of wanting to know more about how these things are made for a while growing up i thought like maybe i'll be an animator and that was cool but then i then i really like honed in on the idea of like creating experiences like this and telling stories that entertain people and move people and that basically like from then on kind of defined all of my choices my choices basically. <laughs> where you are in your career and in like in in 13 14 right in the early 2000s that was like the height of my like disney obsession phase mm -hmm. like lauren would <laughs> say you a fanatic but it's never ended yeah. um i can imagine <laughs> lauren you would were say a little it's more still happening yeah back in the day but yes i yeah. would say it's still happening it was for the, a bit the message boards um oh boy message boards yeah. you, were you one of those. total yeah. dweeb i'm obsessed my um my screen name was Stop. Goofster87. Oh. <laughs> Goofster. Classic. Classic Disney screen name. And 100%. I still have an account on one of the websites oh, that I no. can log into Goofster87. Mine would be Mad Madam Mim 88. That's nice. Yeah. What would yours be? Oh, gosh. Think I don't fast. have anything clever. Yours would Jack be Bigfoot Skellington. from a Goofy movie. <laughs> Honestly, yes. Or I would probably... 89. If I had made it back in the day, I would have thought I was cool and been like Roxanne 89 because yeah. I wanted to be like her from a Goofy movie. But anywho. Anyway. Nice. So long story short, that led to like, you know, studying design in college and, and finding my way into different like design and advertising jobs and stuff. I mean, moving to LA was not because of... Disneyland. It, it was definitely a it perk. It didn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Didn't oh. hurt that you're an hour's drive from Disneyland. Right. Yeah. It was mostly like the fact that that was connected to the world of entertainment and telling stories. And that's what I was excited about. And so then finally found my way into a job that does those things. Mm -hmm. And um, after five years at this job, mostly doing like advertising and, and working on car stuff, we finally got hired to do a legit theme park project and as lauren mentioned uh i spent basically all of covid up until april working on uh this disney fireworks show part of the team the nda that i signed is 
probably doesn't let me tell you more than that. But, <laughs> but it was in Shanghai. <laughs> it was yeah. in Shanghai. And it was for Disney. <laughs> for Disney. Um, yeah, so our, our fireworks show. So cool. With projection mapping on the castle opened in April um, called Illuminate and to rave reviews. And everybody was really excited. And it was amazing to be a part of that and to be able to be on site for a month and a half yeah. at Shanghai Disneyland. Yeah, no shit. Watching um, it all come to sitting life. Sitting in front of the castle and, and putting it together, yeah. I remember so being cool. so upset that Lauren didn't tell me and she was like, I literally couldn't. I could not I tell was, a soul and it was I signed me. a contract <laughs> that I couldn't tell you where my husband was going. I, it was killing me because I feel like everyone was just sort of like, what's he doing over there? And I had to be so vague and say, it's like an art installation uh, sort yeah, of. It's for but then, yeah, I promise you'll all understand why it's worth it. Yeah. But yeah. It's pretty amazing. You can all look it up on YouTube, Illuminate Shanghai Disneyland. It's awesome. Yeah. Designed by today's freaking guest. Well, <laughs> well <Disney>. okay. <laughs> Not designed by, helped Help? procure. Yeah. <laughs> He bought the fireworks, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. He went out and he purchased all of the fireworks. That was his uh -huh. job. That was his uh -huh. job. He was like, is this a bang bang or a twiz? <laughs> he was the gatherer. You know, the bang bangs and the twiz. Gatherer of the lights. Um, before we get into the episode and get into the parks, which I'm very excited about, I do have three very quick pieces of old business. One, everyone go watch UFO on Showtime. It's a four-part documentary series produced by J.J. Abrams, and it's super interesting and really well done. Alex, I think even you will like it. I actually saw a trailer for it, and I was I like, know. this looks like my way in. It's right. super fascinating, and everyone that they interview is like legit people, ex-astronauts, ex-secretary right. you know, of state, ex-whatever, um, and or like witnesses to things like the the Phoenix lights and shit. It's it's really great. Can't wait. So far, I'm on. A, I just started episode three, and okay. there's four episodes. So, so if four could four be sucks, the one. <laughs> yes. It could suck, but it could also be the one that they blow it open. Yep. And true. And I haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen Ugh, it. So we have no exists. idea. Uh, yeah. So watch the documentary too. I don't think we announced it on our show yet, but we have new merch. We have. <laughs> Three new shirts. They are all motorcycle style with the print on the back. I'm a huge fan of that. Me too. I like yep. the pocket logo. That's yeah. where it's at. Yes. I love the pocket I mean, logo. Like, look at me right now. Yeah. I know you have it going up. We're all wearing. I really wish that <laughs> shirts the shirts actually had a pocket. Yeah. For everyone's SIGs because they're motorcycle sure. shirts. So you know you got to put some SIGs That's in there. True. We don't smoke. <laughs> <laughs> One is a Bella in the Witch Elm shirt for all of our true crime fans. We've got a special effects shirt for everyone who's a fan of whiskey and its effects on our speech. And we also have a Thanks Allison shirt for anyone who wants to do some stinky stepping. And finally, three. I have to apologize for something said on last week's episode because we were working off of extremely outdated information. It turns out Danny Bonaducci is sober and a really fantastic guy who has totally turned his life around and works as a radio DJ at KZOK, a classic rock station in Seattle, and enjoys being a total foodie with his wife of like 10 years, which is she sounds adorable. Honestly. Amazing. We had a listener uh, message us who, I'm, I'm not going to say her name, but she basically was like, no, Danny's the best and here's why. And I just wanted to say that I'm extremely happy to hear that another child star has wriggled their way out of the say, slimy like, hands of successful yeah. for once <laughs> horrible do you, remember, do you remember how he was like on every one of the 
like the original look back series. Like I love the eighties and the 80s, I love I the nineties. Yeah. He was like on every one of those and he seemed like such he a, seemed, a cool yeah, guy. Fine. But yeah. I guess he, by the time they got to the surreal life, it yeah, was, that's when things got out of control, pretty downhill, but it turns out he turned his life around. So Good for him. I wanted thank you for to, correcting us, yes, thank you. I wanted to say that I'm sorry for any negative things I said about him. Even if he were still on drugs, it was probably mean. I was just trying to be funny, but now I'm just going to kick rocks down the road and, shame <laughs> kick rocks in shame the listener who wrote in was also so kind she's so one of my favorites not, yeah, yeah you're not a monster <laughs> ashley no but i did want to correct myself yeah, for anyone fair. who um wants to know how danny bonaduce's doing he's killing it now you listened to last week's episode and you're basically a disney expert which means i know you know everything good and bad about walt did you have any thoughts or insight we were left pretty you know so so on 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 the subject Obviously, I don't have a problem talking about anything that was negative about Walt, and certainly there's plenty to look at. I did want to say that it's really important to look at Walt Disney's life kind of in order sequentially in terms of how things happened in his life. Like he, Walt Disney kind of didn't have a childhood because his dad was really tough on him, and he had a paper route at age nine in Kansas City where he and his brother woke up at 3.30 in the morning and had to deliver papers and then go to school and then work again when they got off work and and he did that for like eight years or something growing up and that's part of why he idolized his time on the farm Mm -hmm. in missouri when he was little then that that kind of lack of a childhood was something that he strove for and, and was always looking to create a family environment and that's what he wanted his studio to be and that's what it actually was when they were in the trenches yeah, in the beginning right. when it all started when they were making snow white and doing this crazy thing that nobody believed they could do and so they're all in it together and kind of following walt as this amazing storyteller and leader and then the success of snow white as you guys talked about allowed them to build this amazing new studio right. in burbank that walt envisioned as his utopia yeah and yeah. wanted it to be a family environment again but because of the size and and just how big the company was getting it it wasn't that it yeah, became corporate yeah. immediately and you know the animators resented the things that they had had um valued before or or resented that they couldn't access Walt in the same way he was becoming so famous and um he really took it personally when the strike happened like that was a dagger in his vision of creating this perfect family and he took it really personally and that is ultimately what drove him to being so anti-labor and anti-communist and some people would say in a naive way without even really knowing what that meant i think you know you could take it either way but but it really was that experience and that what he felt as a betrayal that drove him into these environments where he was super conservative and and fighting um and fighting these people who just wanted to make money and provide for their families and and if you want bad things to say about walt hone in on the way that he threw people under the bus that had wronged him and got people blacklisted in hollywood and ruined people's lives which i know you did did talk about yeah we talked a little bit about um the italian woman that played snow white right yeah which i hadn't heard that that was really sad but yeah um yeah Yeah, that's funny you know it's sort of like a serial killer 
Walt Disney's like a serial killer. <laughs> where we're gonna stand by that. When you have a childhood like that, you're either gonna grow up to be a curmudgeonly fuck, mm-hmm. or you're going to create a theme park for children. You know that what I mean? Like you're happy. either yeah. when you have a childhood where like you're you know you don't have that childhood, yep. or you get abused, or you get whatever. Like you grow up to either become an abuser, yeah, or to be the most driven, or become a Scrooge, crazy. yeah, or you go to the opposite end where you're yeah. just like, I want fun, I want yep. family. The first thing that you guys talked about last week was, or one of the first things you brought up was Art Babbitt. Mm-hmm. Mentioning that Walt went to the to the American yeah, what's Bund that all about? Meeting. So you know, I don't know exactly what it's about, but I all I will say about that is that it's not it hasn't been corroborated by any other source, and the best example of that is um, like ten years ago. There's a biography about Walt Disney written by an, an author called Neil Gabler. And most people think it's like the most comprehensive, well-reported, yeah. yeah. well-researched biography ever about Walt. And it was not condoned by Disney, the Disney company or the Disney family at the time. So it like definitely has a lot of warts and stuff. And it mentions the Art Babbitt quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he says he didn't find anything else to the back art, it up. Yeah. could have just said that and, he was mad. Yeah. So he has to assume that... It wasn't real. He, you know, he Walt Disney kept detailed notes on his daily schedules. Yeah. It was never in it there. It was never in there. And but ultimately it yeah, he did hasn't not. been substantiated. Yeah. And that's the thing too, uh, about a lot of the the Walt stuff where where you're asking, was he racist? Was he anti Semitic? Was he sexist? And it's like, here's the problem. I wasn't there and I have no idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so much of it is rumors. None of it is like, documented. Mm-hmm. Like there's been no doc. There's been no quote that you could pull. There's been no. Yeah. There's a lot of it's just one person said this, one yeah. person said that, and another person said something completely different. So right. it's really hard to be like, I know yeah. because I feel like it. I'm mad. So this is the truth. But also the thing that we all came to the conclusion of with Art Babbitt was like. His quote kind of sucked because the reason he saw Walt there was because he was also there. So mm-hmm. even if it is true, he threw himself under the bus. So I was sort of like, okay, Art, what were you trying to prove here? Yeah. And it seems like they had a really weird I mean, relationship because he, but he still then came back to work for Disney like after, yeah. after the strike and after the, they after went the to literal fist fight. Like a little bit of yeah. punching. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, you can do with that yeah. what you No, I'm like. actually interested to know that cuz when we were talking about it I was like what happened? I've I never heard this before. Yeah, cuz it's just that one Art Babbitt quote. That's all we're going off of and that's why I kept saying like listen, this is the rumor, but take Yeah, take it that's as you why will. I wanted to do just a whole portion on Walt Disney because you always hear these things about him, but I need I want to know why. Mm-hmm. What happened mm-hmm. to make you say that thing? Right. Yeah. So that's why we did that episode. So yeah. for anyone, I guess I'll just say it. I guess I'll just say it. If anyone is upset that you think that we didn't go hard enough on Walt Disney or we weren't there to try and convince you one way or the other. We yeah. were just there to present all the information to you and you can decide whether you think he was X, Y, Z or yeah. not. Come to your own conclusion. Yeah, come to your own conclusion. I'm not going to go to bat for Walt. I personally have no urge to protect him or his legacy, but I also don't feel like there's sufficient evidence that I've seen yet to like pick it in the streets of 
downtown Disney. And I say that as a woman regarding the allegations of misogyny. I talked to my fiance, who's Jewish, in depth about it. He feels more or less the same. And I've spoken to friends who are black and Native American, and they're on the fence too. And I think it's perfectly okay to say that you're conflicted and perfectly okay to say that you hate him and everything he stands for. The good news is you never, it's getting harder because Disney owns a lot. But the good news is you literally never have to buy anything Disney ever again. Yep. And you don't have to support him. You can burn his photo. I don't think that's illegal. <laughs> yep. Yeah, light his photo ablaze, you know. <laughs> light it's it fine. on fire. <laughs> Do a chant. Go I'm for with it. you. Yes. Um, yeah, so that was that was all I had to say about the yeah. situation. Okay, let's get into it. Today, Alex is going to start us off by teaching us about some weird-ass rides. You can turn on a ton of podcasts to get a list of Disney hauntings, Disney urban legends. We figured, since we have a literal expert on our hands, a creative director of experiential media, we wanted to do a deep dive into some of Disney's strangest rides, how they came to be, and where they went. And then dispersed in between, we'll be telling you about an unsolved Disney cruise mystery and some horrific Disney park deaths. Can I ask you a question? You may. There's Disneyland and Disney World in America. Here we go. In Disney World, <laughs> nothing bad. In Disney World, I saw a TikTok today of a ride that I guess became Lilo and Stitch, but I before knew that, you were ask honey, because I saw that TikTok, and I Mama. guarantee that's on Mama. his list because me and Alex is have it? connected over it because we both oh, went fantastic. on the original. As kids. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Then shh, zzz, I I'm saw done. That TikTok I'm today done. too, and Great. I was like, Alex will definitely cover this because we okay. both connected on how we wrote it as kids, and it was scary. So anyway, yeah, I don't know the ride, so I'm excited to hear about it. Tell us, Alex. Tell us. Okay, so and like I said, these this is not a quintessential list, and in everything that I say, there may be someone who knows more about all of this stuff than I do. Yeah, there are people that know everything um, more than me and Lauren. And they so write that doesn't and stop they us. us. Yeah. yeah, so I apologize for anything that is not included. Um, and you can let us accurate. Know. Um, also, um, sometimes we just don't have time. Yeah. We have other things. I love it going when I on. tell a story on the show and someone's like, You didn't even mention this. I'm like, We have an hour. Right. We're trying to squeeze all of this. <laughs> what do you in. want from me? I know. Um, you come make the show. Yeah. How about you you come make the show? <laughs> you can step in, all right. Just kidding. On the list of the weirdest Disney attractions of all time for keep it weird listeners. Wanna start off with a classic, a Disneyland classic, of course being Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Mr. Oh. Toad's Wild Ride is insane. I love it, and I feel like I'm on drugs when I'm on it. I've yeah. only been on it once, and I won't go on it again. Because it like ruined your life? It just was too weird. It's, it is Too weird. weird for me. My gosh, it's one mm -hmm. of my favorites mm -hmm. because it's weird. Yeah. yeah. There's always a long line, though, so we don't ride it that much. Yeah. It's for the shroomers. It's for all those people who came on shrooms. Man, LSD. that would be horrifying. But yeah, it was one of the original dark rides in Fantasyland, and, and in... Theme park speak. Dark ride is is a ride that is inside, and you are usually riding around on a vehicle of some kind. And there's like theatrical lighting and and movement and and music that's all all synced up. So the first time I used the term dark ride, Alex told me he'd never been more attracted to me. That I like remembered that was a theme park. That's why term. you guys are married. It was it was a really proud moment. <laughs> The ride opened with Disneyland in July of 1955 in Fantasyland, and it was, of course, based on the 1949 animated adaptation of The Wind and the Willows from the movie The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, yeah. which 
as which the headless has sleepy hollow yeah. Yeah. Yep, 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 i know yep. listen so i'm good. in i'm in um sold yeah the wind in the willows part is not anywhere nope, near as famous watched... <laughs> I have no clue yeah. <laughs> which i don't really understand i how. always knew it was on my vhs and yeah. guess what never watched it never ever watched so this is a road, a joyride in these fiberglass roadsters from the turn of the century, where you go through the story of the wind and the uh, the wind and the willows alongside Mister Toad, who is just like having the time of his life and doesn't care about he's shrooming anything. Yeah. He is, yeah, <laughs> he's vibing. Um, and one key part of the ride is that you're constantly going up to doors like plywood wood doors that mm-hmm. are op- swinging open yeah. at the last second and make you think you're about to you're about them. to slam yeah. into um, them yeah which is is wild the so the crazy part of the ride as you know if you've been on it you know you drive through the streets of london out of out of mr toad's mansion and are going through the countryside bouncing along you find your way into a bar usual kid and stuff and then find your way into a courtroom where the judge just yells guilty and slams a gavel and and, and then I'm, you go to hell. I'm not sure what the implication is. Yeah, then you <laughs> then you turn. Yeah, I was like, onto, get to the weirdest part. You turn onto the train tracks, and you're in a. You go into a dark tunnel and see a light come towards you with the sound of a train blowing a horn, and then. There's a crash and an explosion, and suddenly you're in hell. Yeah, you died and you went. You to literally hell go to hell on a on children's ride. ride in Disneyland. After you're in a bar, after you're in a yep. saloon, after you're getting drunk. And I, are we to? Here's the thing. He yells guilty, which is like what? And yep. then there's a train coming at you, and then you go to hell, and it's right. like f- okay. Was I guilty and charged with murder? And you were executed. I was executed by being hit by a train. What is the story here? Yeah, what are we meant to believe Mr. in Toad? that like being guilty moment? Yeah, I I'm not sure. It's a good question. Maybe we need to watch the wind of the that willows. could probably help us a lot in trying say, to understand. We're all this sitting wind here like, but what does it mean? But we all also admitted we didn't watch that. True, so. but there's no hell in the movie. <laughs> no, so why do we go to I hell on this know. ride? I will never understand. I remember I, I mean, looking it up when the, the one time I wrote it. I remember looking it up, being like, "What happened? I have uh-huh. to know. What did I, what just happened to me? <laughs> Where did I go? Did I actually die on the ride? Was yeah. any of that real? Turns out it was all of it." <laughs> Did we all did really go to hell and now we're just like wandering the earth, like not knowing what's How really do we know we're not dead right I know. Now. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what really happened, you guys? Um, but it's like a pretty, it's a pretty crazy hell. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's like caves and like red light and these, all these little dancing demons. It's, um, yeah. it's hot there. But yeah, then you, then you go. Past hell. I think you go past another judge, but like this time, it's like a a demon judge um, who judges you for your for your life crimes. Yes, yes, yes. your entire um, life crimes. And then the ride ends. And then and the ride ends, and you you go back out into way. the sunshine. Yeah, and then you go back out in the park as if you're supposed to just continue like, on with your day. Enjoy. Go get a corn dog, and you just sit yeah. there contemplating everything. Yeah, have fun with your, your uh, lemon thing. What is it called? Dole Whip. Lemon thing? Oh, it's pineapple. It's pineapple. Yes. Guys, it's pineapple. Dole Whips are great. It did also then open 20 years later at Disney World in 1971. But that version of the ride was only ran until 1998 because it was replaced by Lauren's homeboy. Stitch. No. Damn. 
Uh, you said Stitch. <laughs> Aerosmith. No, Winnie the Pooh. Winnie oh, the Pooh. The I Winnie did the not Pooh know where he was going with it. I was like, who? I have a lot of homeboys. Lauren's homeboy. No, Winnie the Pooh is Lauren's my like Casper. Easy. Devin Sawa. <laughs> Gosh, I wish there was a Devin Sawa ride. Not even a Casper ride. <laughs> just just like a, oh, that Sawa sounds kind of like dirty. Different, All right. <laughs> different versions uh, of Devin yeah. Sawa from the we'll, 90s. We'll forget that. D- not when um, I'm here. Yeah, um, exactly. It's just for me and Ashley chat. Winnie. Yeah, so do you love Winnie, Winnie the, the Pooh? Pooh? Replaced it. People were mad when it was announced that Mr. Oh, Toad was yeah. going to be replaced. But there is a nice little moment in the ride in the Winnie the Pooh ride where you see Mr. Toad in one of the rooms. There's a picture on the wall and you see Mr. Toad handing the deed to Owl. Um, Is his name Owl in Winnie the Pooh? It's just Owl. But so that's a nice, a nice little thing. Um, That is cute. That is cute. I like when they do that. (laughs) What a wild ride. Okay, let's change it up a bit. I'm going to tell you my story. I decided to do this this morning. Um, because I'm I wasn't... excited to find out what you're about to say. Oh yeah, you don't even know. She, okay, mysterious. She did tell me earlier, but so Disney has a film studio, uh, several parks, and lest we forget, cruise ships. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> cruise ships in general are shady. Aff, <laughs> it's um, true. It's fair. Since the year, did not know this, since the year 2000, there have been 313 documented cases of people going missing from cruise vessels, with only about 10% of those cases being resolved. That is not okay. Not a great I yeah number. That's, that's so scary. Um, I mean, if you've been on a cruise, you get it. You get yeah, it, though. That is true. Like, you could see how people what go I missing. What I would do like, to get off this cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely just I've dove had, I've off. enjoyed my cruise experiences. Yeah, I've had a good time. The two that I've had in my life. But you're like, you're just by railings. Oh, yeah. Like, you could see how people just fall off all the time, especially when they're especially going in their quick motion. Like, mm-hmm. you just get left behind. Drinking at night. Yeah. Like, yep. by Who's going to see I mean, especially all expense paid shit. You know, you're yep. just drinking. You're just getting fed alcohol. You become shark yeah. food. And God forbid there's a serial killer on board. Um, and that's kind of a jurisdictional and a legal loophole thing. Much like hotels are not legally required to make public every case of a person who goes missing or falls overboard or whatever. So it's estimated by some that only around 15 to 20 percent of cases are documented and become public. So that's terrifying. And if you need one more reason to stay out of the ocean, that's it. One case did go public, though, and Disney sure wishes it didn't because people have not let it go even today. And that would be the disappearance of Rebecca Corium, who was last seen aboard the cruise ship Disney Wonder on my birthday, March 22nd, 2011. Oh, boy. So at the time, Rebecca was 24 years old. She was from Chester, England, and she worked with it, all I could find was that she worked with the children on the Disney Wonder cruise ship. Okay. So I think that she was one of the daycare people. Yeah. You know, like you can like drop your kids off and go, go booze. have dinner and do whatever. Exactly. Yeah. She was last seen on CCTV footage, uh, like I said, on March 22nd, 2011, around 5.45 a.m. in the crew lounge talking on a phone, with, like on an internal phone. So like okay. the one in the lounge. Yeah. It wasn't a cell phone or anything. Uh, she was wearing a men's uniform. Interesting. Interesting. 
and she was acting visibly distressed. At one point, she like puts her hands over her face. Another point, like a male coworker is seen coming over to like talk to her, comfort her, like almost hugs her in a way. And after that, she hangs up and walks off. She's never seen or heard from ever again. So basically, when she failed to report to her 9 a.m. shift, the Disney staff were alerted to search the ship for her, but to no avail. Mm -hmm. After that, the U.S. Coast Guard and Mexican Navy were contacted to perform a search of the surrounding ocean, but also came up with nothing. For this next part, you kind of have to understand how cruise ship works, uh, which I kind of knew and now wish I didn't know as much about. But... It's called the flag of convenience system. Do you know what this is? Uh Uh-uh, no. So essentially, it's a business practice where a ship's owner registers a ship in a country that's not of the ship's owners. And to do that, that means you can go by that country's rules. So your safety measures can be lower. Your taxes will be lower. Gotcha. um, Your operating costs will be lower. It's super shitty. Yeah. But- Every cruise line does it. It's been done since like the 1920s. That's why you can get an all expense paid cruise for so cheap Mm. because none of these ships are registered in the United States. Kind of do whatever you want. The problem happens though is when something like a murder takes place, it's not investigated by the United States authorities. Right. Because you're not. It's investigated by whatever country you've registered your ship in. Oh, gosh. So the Disney Wonder was registered in a tax haven of the Bahamas. So three days after Rebecca's disappearance, which is also like three, you waited three days. That seems awful. They contacted, uh, Disney contacted the Royal Bahama Police Force to conduct an investigation. And the RBPF assigned one detective to the case. He was flown out by Disney via private jet to Los Angeles. He met the boat there when it got back to L.A. from Puerto Vallarta. Mm-hmm. So waited until it got all the way back to Los right. Angeles. Oh, gosh. He spent one day aboard. He interviewed six of the 950 employees and zero of the 2,000 plus passengers. What? On her disappearance. What Did a not speak garbage to a sick Because they didn't want any of the passengers to know that anything had happened. I mean, yeah. But Which is like... a thing on cruise ships. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, they're trying not to not alarm know. anybody. They, yeah. they just tell you there's like a medical emergency and you have yeah. to stay in wherever Even though you usually it's like, there's a dead like, body, probably. Yeah, it's probably a dead body. Probably someone died. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Which I get, but at the same time, not what great for a person who answered. yeah disappeared and you need to find them. So Disney was being pretty weird with Rebecca's parents. They referred to it as stalled communication. Like they wouldn't call them back. They got the call, I think, from one of her friends on the ship. And then they called Disney. And then Disney was, it was one of those things where like, we don't have any information. And then they called back and they're like, okay, we, we still don't have any information, but we want to fly you out. But it has to go through this department. So they're, they're going to call you. Anyways, it had been like a week. And they were like, where's yeah. my daughter? What's going on? Give us answers, please. Several days went by. Finally, Disney flew Rebecca's parents, Mike and Anne, out to meet with the detective and the ship's captain in Los Angeles. And to be completely fair to Disney, the parents were obviously in a state of distress, probably incredibly upset. But they did say the whole situation 
was weird from the get-go. Yeah. Like, Disney waited days before they flew them out, obviously. They drove them to the ship with a car with blacked-out windows. They were driven onto the boat's back entrance as the guests were unloading off the front. So they were kept out of sight by any guests that could have possibly yeah. seen them arrive, which at the same time, it's like, how did the guests don't even know? You right. didn't even they question no them. Idea. They don't even know why yeah. they're here. So they're they just two know. random people. They then took them to a room where they were essentially kept for hours as Disney got everyone who wasn't an employee off the ship. And then they were played CCTV footage of Rebecca. Um, not the final, not the footage of her on the phone, though. They like played different footage for her of her just like talking to friends and like walking Having around the nice ship. Time. And they were like, what's happening? Then the ship's captain came down to talk to the parents. And he said that he concluded, the captain concluded, that Rebecca was swept off of deck number five by a rogue wave. And Mike and Anne were then shown deck five, which was a crew swimming pool area in the front of the ship's bridge that was guarded by six foot high walls. They were taken to the crew quarters and Rebecca's cabin. They were shown a sandal that supposedly belonged to Rebecca that was uncovered on deck five, which led them to their assessment. They're like, obviously a wave came, took her away. And that's what happened. The next day, the Disney wonder reloaded and left for its next cruise. Uh, like, no big deal. Nothing happened. <laughs> Goodbye. Back up and left, which like, that's a business. That's what happens with these cruise ships. It doesn't matter who owns on. the cruise ships. But uh, if you can believe it, her parents left town like, huh? Yeah. What? What just what happened? happened? Where's our daughter? It wasn't a wave. That's the most absurd no. absurd thing I've ever heard. Why don't you have CCTV footage? Right. They just had so many questions. More questions than answers. Yeah. So they hired a private investigator named uh, Roy Ram, who was a former specialist at Scotland Yard, and they uncovered some shit that basically proves that someone knows what happened and no one is talking. And it was not a rogue wave, no matter yeah. what anyone says. Wait, what do you mean? Well- to this day, Disney maintains it was a rogue wave that swept of her off the ship on deck five sometime between the hours of 6 and 9 a.m. But weather and ocean conditions near Puerto Vallarta, where the ship was located, do not show any indication of stormy weather, much less a rogue wave that would need to be about 100 feet high to sweep someone off the deck and overboard. I was just going to say, like, everyone on the boat would have been like, man, we really got rocked yeah. last night with that 100-foot wave. But exactly. No one was it that. was like, yeah. it's just not... Possible without yeah. really, really horrific weather Shady or some ass. freak accident. But it was 5.45 a.m. Like, people yeah. are up. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, like, her. Right. Then also, Ram investigated the primary piece of physical evidence, which is the CCTV footage of Rebecca on the phone. Disney claimed the CCTV footage was shot inside on Deck 5, where she was allegedly swept overboard. But Ram discovered that the footage had been cropped to hide the timestamp and location. Oh, look at that. So he demanded to see the original footage. Mm -hmm. He wanted to know where this was and what time it was. And when he found the original footage, he learned that it was actually shot on deck one, not on deck five, and nowhere near her supposed accidental death. Copies of the undoctored footage have been denied to the family repeatedly, even to this day. They also investigated the sandal, which is a total fucking joke. The sandal is a joke. First, her family had never sh- seen the shoes before, which like doesn't really mean anything. Right. I have shoes that my mom hasn't seen. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that's Many not crazy. Do. But it wasn't even the right size. 
and had the name and cabin number of another individual oh, altogether written on the side of it. God. <laughs> so, like, That's just embarrassing at that point. Like, not yeah. uh, fucking hers. A few months after the disappearance, investigative journalist John Ronson of The Guardian set sail on Disney Wonder to try and make sense of her disappearance mm-hmm. um, because the private investigation didn't go really anywhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, aside from figuring out that, like, no, absolutely, there was no wave. There was no, you know, yeah. this is sandal isn't hers. Right. What's going on? You already cropped one piece of CCTV footage. Can I see the rest? Yeah. But anyway, so um, he talked, this um, uh, journalist, John Ronson, talked to, with as many crew members as he could get his hands on, not a single one was willing to go on the record because they'd lose their job. But off the record, one crew member said, Disney knows exactly what happened. The phone call she had, it was taped. Everything here is taped. There's CCTV everywhere on every surface of this cruise ship. Mm -hmm. Disney has the tapes. Another crew member responded to John by saying, I don't know anything about it. In fact, it didn't even happen. You know, that's the answer I have to give. So everyone was pretty convinced that the crew had all been told, like, if you talk to anyone about this, your job's over. So there are a ton of theories as to what happened. Suicide is a really big one. uh, But as usual, all her family and friends are like, don't buy it. She was happy. She would have never. But unfortunately, it was, we all know too well, that doesn't really mean it didn't happen. Right. In 2016, Ram uncovered a ripped pair of shorts with Rebecca's remaining personal effects from her cabin, and he and other law enforcement officials believed it was at least worth investigating, that it could have shown evidence of a sign of struggle on the day of her death or potentially before, because Rebecca had told friends when she was home for a family funeral the year before in between some cruises that she was fearful of being raped or sexually assaulted on the ship. And she never named names, but she said that that was something that that she was worried about. So whether that's something that was happening a lot, like they they didn't get a lot of information out of her. It was also reported that months after her disappearance, her family noticed that there had been activity on her bank account as well as a changed password on her Facebook so that's weird. A little twist. Member of Parliament Chris Matheson, who also helped on the case, said that there is uh, more than sufficient evidence to indicate a crime may well have taken place. So when this came out, there was renewed interest in the case, especially the um, uh, the bank account stuff. Like when, yeah. when people learned about like the fact that basically when they came out years later and were like, she might have been murdered. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, all these people got became invested in the case. A bunch of people started questioning whether or not it was murder. Media and the public had been reinvested in the crime. And the following year, in 2017, after all this stuff came forward, a woman named Tracy Medley claimed that she was Rebecca's girlfriend and co-worker on Disney Wonder. Girlfriend as in like dating, okay, I was lovers, etc. All right. And she claims that the night before, her and Rebecca engaged in a threesome with a male boyfriend of hers named Devin. Devin. Huh? She also told the son that Rebecca had a cocaine problem. It was something no one else in her life was able able to corroborate in any way. But of course, that doesn't mean it wasn't true. Like maybe she did. Uh, It just seems kind of weird that all of a sudden this one person was like, she did cocaine. And everyone's like, what? Are you sure? Yeah. Also, she says that after the threesome, Rebecca wanted to take a walk. Tracy was drunk and said, I just want to pass out. Rebecca asked her again to come with her. She said no. And Rebecca put on the Devin, his clothes, 
to take a walk and that does provide that a possible in insight mail? yes ah. to why she was wearing male because he was a Would crew member too that there was video of her in in a men's clothes close the tracy other tracy? tracy yeah yeah, yeah everyone knew i mean oh. i i don't okay, think so she, she still could have made it yeah. up but Okay. Oh, yeah, she That's definitely could have made she had, it up. If she had seen the footage. Not saying that she did make it up. But. Right. And I tried to find out if the sandal belonged to Tracy or Devin, but I can't find that information Ooh, that anywhere. that would be interesting. Well, there are photos of the sandal online with a name and cabin number on the side, but it's illegible. It's hard to read. But the name starts with a J. Yeah. And that's not Devin or Tracy. Womp, so womp. I, I don't think it was either of them. So according to Tracy, Rebecca had been distraught over their fiery and passionate relationship in the weeks prior. Tracy claims that now, these days, she believes she had climbed over the six-foot railings of Deck 5 to jump into the ocean. Hmm. But I'm thinking if you take into account the ripped shorts found in Rebecca's belongings and the comments that she made to her friends about being afraid of sexual assault, it's possible that this threesome wasn't a threesome at all, but like rape possibly especially since like like, all of a sudden years later she's like oh yeah i mean because you have to remember this is a year after there was renewed interest in the case and people started thinking it was a murder so i guarantee people were starting to ask questions again and all of a sudden she came forward and was like well she was my girlfriend we had a threesome she was she was was upset she had a cocaine problem there was like all this shit that was like wait okay what where has this information been? Why Doesn't didn't no one like... else in her life know that she had this huge cocaine problem? Sounds like Tracy's covering her booty. Yeah. You don't throw the person who's lost under the bus like if yeah. it Yeah. Yeah. Also, Absolutely. like why do why is if you truly think that she killed herself, why even bring that up? Like right. why even like that be like she true. had a coke problem? So, anyways, Tracy denies to this day that there was any sort of like attack. And she says that she knows people think something sinister went down, but she never left the room that day after Rebecca left. Rebecca's parents are begging Disney to allow investigators to look into these two past employees and look at more CCTV footage from the ship. But so far, everything has been denied. And regardless of what happened, I mean, the whole whole investigation was fucked up. Like, they broke protocol when the ship refused to turn around to look for Rebecca. Like, the second they found out she was missing... They should have stopped the ship. Yes, absolutely. Apparently, the wrong coordinates were initially given to Coast Guards, um, which sucks, may have led to a search in the wrong area. Also, somehow the ship didn't have any tracking information to release for the day Rebecca disappeared, but so far publicly hasn't told anyone if the system was faulty or turned off for some reason at the time. Yeah. The... um, investigation was a crock of shit there were no forensics done not a single passenger was questioned even most of her friends on board weren't questioned one of the last people to see her alive a co-worker who was close to her told the bbc i was never spoken to by any security or police at all to call this an investigation is an insult she either killed herself she either jumped off the railing whether that was because she had been sexually assaulted or she was in this relationship. It did get confusing because a, a, a male was involved yeah. and, and she was upset about that. Or she was murdered or she was thrown off. And the, the problem is, is that they have the footage of this. Right. There's foot. They said like the crew members were like, look around. Yeah. There's CCTV There's footage everywhere. So they're like, hiding I, it. Yeah. And I get that like as a business, like 
especially Disney, especially like fun family, blah, 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 blah. You don't want to be like, and you can kill yourself here. Yeah. Or like, and some people get raped. Yeah. So like, I get it, but there's still. There's family members who are wanting their closure. Yeah. Yeah. Who. It just feels so mean to not give them the information. But so far, um, nothing. They did uh, sue Disney and it was settled out of court. So they were paid. Here's some money. Something. I don't know. Which I mean, good. Like at least they got something, but still. Yeah. Just to never know what happened. I I don't know. I kind of agree with the theory that maybe she was thrown overboard mostly because of the ripped shorts. It just seems like someone was like attacking her and then maybe they needed to cover it up so she didn't tell anyone. I don't know. But it doesn't. I think it sounds very shady. Yeah, but it is interesting that they would find the ripped shorts in her belongings and not... Why didn't they also throw the ripped shorts over? Exactly, if she was thrown over. Like, it's just... There's a lot that doesn't quite make sense. But what we we pretty much know is that they know. Yep. And the whole point is that, like, they know and they won't tell us. Uh, Yeah. Yikes. So that's my Disney story. It was so magical and bubbly. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, Ashley and Alex tell very similar stories. Yeah, we basically told the same story. (laughs) Let's get back to some rides, Alex. What do you have on deck for us? Next up, I want to take you through the journey of what ultimately became the extraterrestrial alien encounter. This is the one I was talking about. That's the one you're talking about. That's why I was like, I know what you mean. And it is, he wasn't mispronouncing. Nobody sit there and say, man, Alex really stumbled over his words. It was extraterrestrial. That's like uh, the little joke. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In all caps, the word terror. It better be. It. Yeah. Um, and it, it was. Yeah. So this is a ride that was at Disney World's Magic Kingdom in the Tomorrowland area. Now, the ride itself opened in 1995, but we got to start before oh, that. We got to start Roswell. So, um. <laughs> Roswell, New Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) This is where it all began, guys. The crash. Um, So, actually, Walt Disney (laughs) died in 1966. Mm -hmm. And when he died, it, like, sent the company into chaos. um, Yeah. Because he was, like, at the front of all of the things they were doing, pushing them forward. Like, everything was his vision. And especially because they were starting to build Disney World and plan Disney World at the time and Epcot. Part of that uncertainty led to just a lot of challenges in the 70s and the 80s for Disney as a whole. And in the early 80s, that was when Ron Miller, who was Walt's son-in-law, became president, which did not smooth out the the chaos. Right. Um, but it did. But Ron Miller should be credited for a lot of cool things in Disney's history and taking some bold chances that in some cases paid off, in some cases didn't. But he was in charge when Tron was created. Oh, shit. Um, which is if, awesome. If that is meaningful to you. Also, yes. um, you know, the Black Cauldron came out, which was a, a low point. But there were also <laughs> darker things like Something Wicked This Way Comes yep, is a movie that I've never it. seen, but I hope it's on Disney Plus at some point. Uh, you um, should read the hopeful. book, Ray Bradbury. It's very, very good. I love Ray Bradbury. Mm-hmm. And Ray Bradbury loved Ray Disney, Bradbury. too. Um, All the good Return ones. to Oz. <laughs> Oh gosh! Wait, Love hold Return on! Wait, hold on! It's one of Ashley's like favorite movies <laughs> of all time. But I've never even... seen it. 
You've never seen no. it? We've talked oh, about this before because so I really, I like that movie now, but it did scare me the first couple times as a kid because it is creepy oh, app, but I really want Alex to see it because I think you'd really like well, it. Well, yeah. it's actually a more, it's closer to the, the source material than the, the yeah. musical mm-hmm. film right. Wizard of Oz because sure. it's very dark. I mean, the musical is pretty dark too, but Return yeah. to Oz is dark. Next it's so level. dark. Yeah. Uh, but yes. Okay. I'm a fan. Yeah. So there were some of those dark things, some of those things that didn't land with audiences, but then there was a lot that was bold, like Tron, as I mentioned, he also funded a young Tim Burton and gave him a lot of funding for his original movies, set those seeds for Roger Rabbit, which I know you guys raved about last week. Um, He started the home video department. He started the Disney Channel and also started Touchstone Pictures which was Disney's adult. Yeah. That was sort of like, we want to do stuff. Yeah. yeah. Not under the Disney name. Which I <laughs> yes. feel like and maybe maybe now stuff. people know it, but at one point people didn't like, but Splash was the first of those Ugh. movies, which Love was Splash. a hit and yeah. super huge and catapulted Tom Hanks into movie stardom. stardom. Um, but like, I don't know if people know that Con Air and The Rock and Armageddon are all Disney movies that yeah. were just under different, a different name. <laughs> under, yeah. a different name. under different labels. Yeah. So while he was in charge, there were corporate raiders coming to try and take over. They were threatening to split apart the whole Disney company so everything would be broken up and go to different different bidders. And at that time, Walt Disney's nephew Roy headed up a group that ousted his cousin's brother. Um, from being in charge of the company. And at that time, brought in Michael Eisner and Frank Wells. And Michael Eisner had been the head of Paramount before coming to Disney. And Frank Wells had been in charge at Warner Brothers. So they were like big Hollywood guys who knew what they were doing. And they were coming in to save save Disney, to save the company. And Eisner, with that relationship from being at Paramount Pictures, came in and wanted to turn around Disney and, and expand its audience and tap into what he knew to make that happen. So Eisner knew nothing about theme parks, but he was really excited to get hands on. There's a very famous story of him coming to Imagineering with his son and basically like setting his son loose to like go look around and and see what his teenage son thought was cool. Yeah. And that was basically like, uh, we're doing that. Build that. Yeah. And make so, a terrifying alien ride. So please. one of the one of the relationships that Eisner had from Paramount was he was in charge of Paramount when Indiana Jones was greenlit. Ooh. So he had a relationship with our man Spielberg. Yes. Yes. Yes, Spielberg. <laughs> okay. But also George Lucas. But oh. Spielberg was also really Spielberg was really connected and this is not in my notes, so thank you. Um but Spielberg was really connected to Universal Studios. Yes. Jaws. So one of the first projects that George or that Eisner knew he could turn around quickly was a film. So he talked to George Lucas. George Lucas was like Oh, yeah. Okay, this is cool. I'll bring in my friend Francis Ford Coppola. It's fine. George and Francis Ford Coppola worked together. They brought in the most famous person in the world at the time, Michael Jackson. Oh, shit. Um, Oh, boy. And created Captain EO, which uh, we yes. all know now. Is Captain EO still at... Uh, Not anymore. No, no really? No. Okay. It After didn't survive years and the, years. the most recent round of, of Michael Jackson drama, like uh, the HBO. Yeah. Oh, okay. The yeah. accus- and that the documentary yeah, came that, out. They axed it, which it was smart. But it's a fun, a fun movie. 
that was a big deal. It was a, a huge success and and started um, this path towards expanding Disney's audience and and bringing in legit Hollywood talent, um, which then also led to Star Tours, the full the original Star Wars, the original ride, ride. Um, that kind of was built around the idea of like riding the movies, like yeah. putting you into yeah. the world which of these movies. Which is brilliant, which is like um, all the parks are now. So smart. Yeah, yeah exactly. That kind of paved exactly. the way. And there was also the Indiana Jones stunt show that opened um, with Disney MGM Studios in 1989. That was my shit in 1990. So all of those things prove that Disney parks could be more than just Mickey and Minnie and Donald mm-hmm. and, and your yeah. classic Poo. Disney rides. Yeah. Um, Good old Pooh. And, and inspired Eisner to dub the 90s as the Disney decade and announce all of these projects that were going to revolutionize the world of theme parks and and bring in all these new fans. At this time, he was looking for other properties that he could tap into. And he honed in on another 20th Century Fox sci-fi series from the late 70s that was a massive hit. Which was Close Encounters. Alien is oh, the answer. Shit. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so the Imagineers set to work trying to come up with ideas related to Alien, and one of the main concepts that really got a lot of play was the idea of being in the gritty environment of the of the Nos. How do you say it? Nostromo. 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 Mm-hmm. Nostromo spaceship and riding around in vehicles shooting. Aliens and killing the aliens. So like the, the Men aliens. in Black ride. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that really didn't go very far because, again, people, there were a lot of senior Imagineers who were like, we can't have an R-rated movie right. represented in a Disney this theme park fly. where yeah. you're literally shooting aliens. <laughs> when you have like, guns. Yeah. And so that got pulled off the off the development track. But there were still a group of young Imagineers who were going up against those senior people and didn't want to give up. So they had the idea then to take the theme of Alien and adapt it into existing spaces that existed in Disney World and Disneyland in this attraction that was another round opening of Disneyland era ride called Flight to the Moon, Rocket to the Moon, Mission to Mars, where everybody sat in circles in rows around a center stage almost yeah there were there were screens on the floor and screens on the ceiling that were showing you a look out into outer space as you've blasted off and mm. flew into space okay. and went was to the, the moon middle and went like to wasn't Mars. it the capsule like well where the... later it would become that yes oh, okay. and so eisner being the executive that he was like loved the idea of of being able to utilize something and and you know it was economical to to not have to build everything from scratch so alien was back on we're doing it but again the senior and i'm sorry there is some back and forth here but again those senior people were not were into it not into it yeah so they went behind the other team's back and talked to george lucas oh i love the drama yeah, okay right and they said, George, we don't think the alien should be at Disneyland. Will you come help us convince Eisner and maybe help us develop something else that will mean that we don't do alien? And George was like, yeah, probably. You're probably right. We shouldn't do that. Uh, that was like <laughs> That's a, really a really loose, nice impression. That was, a really <laughs> that was my loose impression. I like where your voice George went. Um, 
and he was willing to help out. So he came in and they took a lot of the same beats that they were planning for an alien attraction, but basically changed everything so or just adapted it. So the Whalen Corporation became this company, this futuristic company called um, XS Tech. And instead of being in the in the Nostromo, now you were in a, a galactic convention center where they're showing off their latest technologies yes. and there's still Cre- an alien creatures but it's not a xenomorph it's a another still very terrifying a little bit more kind of um, really insect scary like um alien at the center of this ride and this finally won over Eisner for the long haul. This ride was planned to be part of new Tomorrowlands where they were going to redo the entire lands of Tomorrowland in both Disneyland and Disney World. And so the ride opened in 1994. The ride itself began with two pre-shows where you were welcomed into this galactic convention center. The first one with an alien played by none other than the queen of the catwalk herself, Tyra Banks. Whoa! Catwalk, is that right? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you nailed it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, we also would have accepted Our Lady of Smize. Uh-huh. And, Tyra Banks uh, taught everyone how to smize. Yes. Tyra, we were all believing in you, Banks. Oh, my gosh. I yeah, would accept that as well. Yep. One of the best blow-ups on mm-hmm. reality television. Yeah. You wouldn't know. No, I, I'm learning. <laughs> yep, <laughs> he wouldn't slowly know learning. <laughs> Anyways. Um, there's, there's a lot of star power in this thing. Well, not like star power by... Today's standard. Today's yeah. standard. At the time. But the CEO was played by an actor named uh, Jeffrey Jones, who was- He's a pedophile. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Yep. Famous Yikes. for being the principal in Ferris Bueller mm-hmm. and the dad in Beetlejuice. Beetlegeist. So he was the CEO who showed up a few times. And then you were brought into this main theater, which, as I mentioned, was stadium seating style, looking at a center, a center area. And where the screens had been, now there's a big tube. And the other main addition to the ride that didn't exist when it was first built was shoulder restraints so you sat down in these seats and Uh, almost like you're on a you're on like a roller coaster from the 90s these shoulder restraints came down so that you couldn't move and held you in place at this point you meet two employees of excess tech um, who are still like green alien but humanoid characters one of who were played by kevin pollack I love Kevin Pollack. I love Kevin Pollack. And Kathy Najimy. No way! I love Kathy Najimy. That's really exciting. Uh, Mary Sanderson from Hocus Pocus, if anyone doesn't know who Kathy Najimy is. She's the best. She rides the vacuum cleaner. We all love her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're like the people who are kind of running the experiment or running the demonstration. Chairman Clench shows up again and he's like, okay, what we're going to do is I'm going to teleport myself into the theater right now from you know, galaxies away. Mm-hmm. I'm going to transport myself into Tomorrowland. Um, they begin to do this. And as they do it, his beam kind of gets caught in another passing planet or a, or a passing meteor or as something. They and do. they're like, oh no, we were... Oh no, we put him on an asteroid. We may have lost the signal. What's happening? Just boost it. Send him the rest of the way. And of course, during that interaction with the other other planet... The beams were crossed and a ferocious alien appears. appears in the tank in the middle of the room. It's and um, It's so scary. And yeah, it was it was like a, a really impressive animatronic, like lots of crazy movement. Of course, then 
the alien cracks the glass of the tube, escapes. gets out, escapes, and wreaks havoc on the theater. At this point, when he escapes, the lights go completely pitch black. Of course. And the main idea of the show is that it's it's especially utilizing binaural audio. So you've got speakers on either side of your ear, thanks to those the shoulder, shoulder restraints, restraints that can basically trick you into thinking anything. Something's breathing on your fucking neck. Exactly. Yeah, and that's exactly. when I started bawling my eyes out. I was going to say, do they also do the shoulder restraints so that you didn't like literally get up and run away? Because I think people would have. I probably would have tried. I saw the video today for the first time. Yeah. I'd never, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know what it was called. I didn't know anything. Mm. I just saw a quick video of the alien. It was just in the tube. And I was like, this is the scariest shit I've ever seen in my it entire life. It was so scary. And you have to remember, like this came out in the 90s, like he mentioned. So I went when I was a very little kid and I was bawling my eyes out because I thought the alien was like sitting on my shoulders <laughs> and I barely made it through the rest of the ride. Yeah. And it wasn't just those speakers behind. The shoulder restraints also used hydraulics to drop lower onto you. So oh. they could they made it feel like the alien was jumping around the and theater like landing and landing on, right oh, behind shit. you and then give you some some little breath in your in your ears at one point in the show that was super creepy the alien is up in the rafters above the mm-hmm. theater and at that point there's a cast member who actually plays a plays a role in the show and is walking in the rafters carrying a flashlight and then the screens in the room cut to the night vision feed of the person who's up there trying to trying to put the power back on. And of course, while that person is up there and while you're getting the night vision feed, the alien steps out of the darkness and you see it on the screen as it lunges at the camera, at the person up there. And when, (laughs) when the camera goes black and you hear the screaming of the person up there, (laughs) blood falls down onto everyone in the theater. So this of course, is insane. Can you believe that this existed at Magic Kingdom? Yeah. No. Yeah. Like of all so, places, Magic of Kingdom. Of course it's just warm water, but it, it yeah. lands on you in the moment that this person has gets been murdered. Brutally it's murdered brutally right murdered. in front of your child eye. Yep. But then the alien comes back down in the darkness, lands on your shoulders again, at which point a plasticky rubber tongue pokes out and licks the back of your neck that was just you know it's just in the shoulder restraint but it's it's poking out but you can't go anywhere because you're trapped at which point then kevin pollack and kathy najimi are gone they left no they're they're still there they're panicking you know and there's a lot of screaming and they're like okay boost the signal we gotta boost the power we'll get him into the tube and then teleport him back and so they they are able to get the animatronic back in the tube. You Again, the lights flicker on. You see the, the alien in the tube, and they're boosting the power, at which point you know lights and, and smoke are going, and they're not able to transport him because the power just causes the alien to explode and totally spray fine. you with oh, alien goop. goop again as you hear the sound of thuds of the terminator ride doesn't even have the balls (laughs) they could to spray you with fake warm blood oh man i love terminator the terminator ride was fantastic and that's why i thought of when you were telling this story because it's kind of the same thing you go in and you're at uh uh Sky. Skynet. 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 <laughs> it was like Cyberdyne. 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 Cyberd
Yeah, so you're at Cyberdyne Systems. But yeah, so um, when the ride opened, it was deemed both too scary by some people. (laughs) Some people thought, some people did think it wasn't scary enough. You might have a hard time believing that. And there is a chance maybe that some of the things I told you were after they retooled it. Because after it opened, it was open for, I believe, only about two months um, in test phases before they said, okay, we need to we need to fix this. We need to get it to work. Um, and so the main thing that they changed in that time was the second pre-show. They realized they needed, or they decided they needed to make the pre-shows scarier so that people realized what they were getting into and and bailed out before they got to the scariest part. Yeah, before if they, they got were in and easily got scared. Scared. Chance to So the, the second pre-show, the original version of it, actually featured SNL and Simpsons star Phil Hartman. Oh, shit. As Love Phil Hartman. a robot host who was welcoming you and, and kind of showing you the technology. But when they retooled it, he was replaced by the one and only Tim Curry. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you ever want to make something a little bit creepier, Tim uh, Curry. just cast Tim Curry. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so he can do no wrong. Tim Curry became the robot host at, in this pre-show. They also learned in the initial tests that people were screaming a lot and screaming over important plot points. Right. <laughs> so nobody that had any me. idea what was going on. I probably ruined it for on. everyone around me. But the only way you can test something like that out is to have random people who have no idea what they're doing, yeah. write it yeah. right. over and over and over. Not That's over and over see. them, but like, yeah. damn, I really missed my chance. I would have loved to ride that. <laughs> I think you would have appreciated it. Like, I was just such a scaredy cat as a kid. Had a divisive reputation for terrifying guests, as we said, and it only ran until 2003 when it was replaced by... Lilo and Stitch. Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> where the alien transported into the theater was Stitch. And so what much was lighter. <laughs> terrifying became... Adorable? Uh, kind of adorable. The first time we went to Disney World when I was 13, we did not ride it. But I had gone back on, I think, a band trip or, or something a few years later and was able to ride it right before it was going to close. But again, I psyched myself out and got so scared that when the shoulder restraints came down... I held them up so they couldn't go all the way. So I was still oh able my. to like avoid some of the scariest things. Like You cheater. Forward. I know. I regret it to this day. <laughs> it's one of my biggest regrets <laughs> in life that yeah, I didn't that you just let fully myself experience. fully experience yeah, it. Because, and I'm somebody who like values that full experience as much as possible. I'm glad I got to be in that room. Yeah, you you got further than I did. And see it. But <laughs> and it was made for me. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. You're right. And um, I didn't even get to experience it. I know. Okay, Roxanne, it's your turn. Tell you us sure? about some Disney deaths. I don't know okay. any of these. So yeah, they're, I mean... We're, we're keep it weird. We have to go a little dark. So as much as we love to go to these magical places in <laughs> all of the Disney parks, there have unfortunately been some deaths in the park. And you okay. can skip the one that you... Yeah, I, I can't. Don't want to tell. Um, Check out our newsletter yes. this month. And we will include a story that is so horrible mm-hmm. that we literally can't tell it i cannot read it on an Lauren episode because i will start bawling my eyes out it's awful but yeah i'm gonna include some of them on the newsletter but i will read a few here one of the craziest ones is like exactly 10 years apart a death happened in the exact same attraction which oh, i shit. thought 
was very interesting. June 1973 and June 1983. The exact same story, too. Teenagers died in the Rivers of America attraction in Disneyland, both after violating the rules. It was fault of their own. In the first incident, an 18-year-old and his brother stayed in the park after closing. This is the 1973 one. They were able to sneak by and hide and like get past all the workers, mm. and one of the teenagers drowned. Um, when attempting to cross the river, the other one did try to save them, but the like kind of rapids going on in there just it wasn't safe. So he ended up having to go back to the shore and wasn't able to save his friend. So one of the teenagers drowned and passed away. It sucks because the water is like six feet deep there. Right. It's just like the the rapids were it was so... enough to take them under. Yeah, take you under. So then 10 years later, 1983, the exact same month, a boy stole a rubber emergency raft from a cast-only area, again, just like trying to be funny and get away with something, only to tip over and drown. Again, just because it tipped over, couldn't find his way up to the surface, and sadly drowned. But I just, I can't get over that they were exactly 10 years apart. Yeah, that it almost was really, seems like kismet. Yeah, like what? What was going on there? So that was very sad and bizarre. Then a year later in 1984, a woman named Dolly Young was riding the Matterhorn bobsleds. She was 48 years old. Sweet in Dolly. Disneyland? Yes. The one that I've ridden? Yes. The, the very Matterhorn that you've been on. Her seatbelt became unfastened during the ride. And the weird thing is no one knows why. If she unfastened it or if it was a malfunction, but it somehow came undone. And I mean, this was in the 80s. Obviously, they've upped their safety since then. But Dolly Young plummeted to the track below when it became unfastened, she fell out, plummeted down below, was hit by another car, and dragged along the rails oh! before the ride was eventually stopped. It is unclear again how her seatbelt became unfastened, but safe to say the ride was closed for a significant amount of time to investigate what was going on with the safety system. And they increased their safety and fixed My the seatbelts, obviously, from there because of this event, which is unfortunate that it wasn't that secure before, but... I yeah I can't even imagine what her body must have looked like by Good the time Lord. she was dragged for that long. Well, yeah, you think about the people in the other. I was True. just thinking the people that witnessed it because she fell down below and hit like another train going by. I guess they weren't trains; they're whatever you Logs. would call the collection of bobsleds. They're yeah. bobsleds, yeah. Oh, Put together, bobsleds. yeah. I mean, yeah, awful, 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 gruesome. More recently, in 2007, a teenager died on the rock and roller coaster at Disneyland Paris. No. Oh, Paris. Who cares? I know. I haven't been who on that one. Who cares about that? I haven't <laughs> read that one. It is weird to think when it's a ride you've been on. I do agree. Um, I'm kidding. I'm this kidding. one doesn't seem to be the fault of Disneyland. When the ride stopped, this teenage girl just became unconscious. I don't know if it was just, you know, what do they call it? The G-force when you're on the roller coaster? Is that mm, a word? Yeah. Yeah. Thing? But she was unconscious, like her friends were, you know, trying to revive her. Park medics rushed to the scene and an ambulance was called, but it was too late. So, so she that just was like passed sad. out on the she ride? She just passed out, but like never came back to life. Like it wasn't just, oh, I fainted. It she seemed like she was like almost dead yeah. immediately. Yeah. yeah wow. So it, it was bizarre. Some of those are sad where it's almost, it's like you just had something that you didn't know about. And yeah. Yeah. An underlying condition that you yeah. have no idea about. Yeah. It's so unfortunate. And especially with this, because some of the other deaths that I didn't include is because there were some older folks who went on rides right. and had these Which similar situations. Like, They're like, okay. It happens. But this was a young teen. So that was very sad. But. Cast members are not immune to the dangers of the park either. 
1974, an employee named Debbie Stone was crushed to death between a rotating wall and a permanent theater wall in the America Sings attraction, also oh, in yikes. Disneyland. She There was a stationary wall that was just part of the theater and then the wall that is spinning around taking you to the next areas and she... The attraction had been open for only a week. So they're thinking oh. she was either just like not trained properly or it was just an honest misstep because they were figuring things out. But she thought she had a chance to squeeze between the walls. It was like a break in one of the songs. But right as she was crossing, the rotating wall started to turn and she oh, got crushed. horrifying. So they closed it down for only two days, which I was sort of like, maybe give it like a second. But they closed it down for two days to fix that issue so it would never happen again i'm guessing they were able to put something in place that if someone accidentally started to step it would stop automatically and pause so they were able to fix that and it was never able to happen again but ooh, another cast member in walt disney world a cast member playing pluto in the daily afternoon parade share a dream come true in 2004 was unfortunately run over by one of the parade floats damn his name was javier cruz age 38 he had worked at walt disney world for eight years was a father of two and he was struck just before entering public view thank god that like no spectators had to see but it was about to come into Frontierland. it's unclear if he accidentally fell or just you know he walked at just the wrong time or and was knocked over. Or someone ran over him on purpose. Or there was total did, drama. I was going to say, did he have it. drama he with anyone? He was pushed, actually. He was pushed by... I'm like, who would Pluto have drama with? Goofy? Goofy. He'd be like, why do you get to talk and I don't? We're both dogs. <laughs> pushed him down. Um, So he unfortunately fell in front of that. The accident led to... Do you call it... OSHA or is it just O-S-H-A? No, you say OSHA. Occupational. I thought so. Occupational Safety and Health Administration. They had to assess a fine to Disney for this. And, you know, it was under investigation for a long time. But I don't think much came out of it besides that fine. But poor Javier. Yeah, no that shit. an unfortunate one. Also, I'm going to include the other deaths that I have on our newsletter because mm-hmm. a lot of them get pretty dark. But there were also some fascinating injuries that I thought were also worth mentioning. They weren't deaths. I did but... come across one where an electrician at Disneyland Paris did die in Phantom Manor. Ooh, which the is, Phantom Manor. I think that's the only death in a Haunted Mansion attraction okay. that I'm aware of. That at least has been verified because there's right. so many urban legends say, about sure. people well, dying on the Haunted Mansion. I know yeah. that it is a popular place for people to attempt to spread ashes. Yes, yes I was going to talk about that uh, as well a little bit, but a lot of people use Haunted Mansion and it's like, I can tell you now, don't do it because they immediately stop the ride and they send a crew to vacuum it up. So it's like, yeah, when so you rather like, know that just... their ashes are not just in a vacuum bag, like yeah. don't Dumpster it. in Anaheim. Exactly. Yeah. Like they will immediately, a cleaning team comes in, the ride is shut down, everything. So, okay, some crazy injuries. It's not always a fatality, but it's still rough. In 1983, an 18-year-old man fell off of Space Mountain and was paralyzed. Whoa. So that's awful. In September 2000, a four-year-old boy fell out of the Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin ride and suffered serious internal injuries, cardiac arrest, and brain damage after being dragged underneath the car oh, for most of the ride. God. Somehow did not pass away, but very sad. He still had a lot of medical problems, obviously from it. And part of the reason that like, he sustained even worse injuries is because it took a really long time for anyone to call emergency personnel. 
I guess nobody knows the exact timing of the incident. There's a lot of hearsay, but it seems like it was almost an hour before anybody came and started doing medical work on him. He was just kind of being held by his parents and like onlookers who were trying to help the situation. But medical personnel took a very long time to get there, leading Disney to review and change their policies. Thank God after this event and say, you know, we have to get to things faster. Well, we have to have better if, uh, emergency You know, system. like you said, it, it was internal injuries and brain brain damage. Yeah. So it might not have been apparent have that something was wrong with the child. It might have been Fair. something where it's like, oh, something like maybe he like hit his head. Like, what? Okay. Yeah, I do agree with that, except for the fact that he was dragged under the car. I that mean, would I would have me, called yes. the uh, medical that officials, but I'm me just call saying, someone, I'm just trying but to play devil's advocate. Yes. Here. Yeah. No, you are absolutely correct in that instance. It's. But yes, it didn't look good. Luckily, they changed their policies after that, as they freaking should. Unfortunately, it was too late for this child who, yes, did not die on Disney premises, but in January 2009, because of his injuries and the different health issues that he sustained after this, he did pass away. Oh, so geez. that one was very sad. California Adventure, which is one of my favorite places to be in the world, unfortunately, has had some bad accidents, such as California Screamin', the Incredicoaster, as it's known today, no, it no, will always be California Screaming in my head. It malfunctioned and a train, one of the trains rear-ended another, sending 15 guests to the hospital. Oh, wow. This was July 29th, it's 2005. Like worst nightmare. Horrible. There were 48 people total aboard. So, I mean, thank God that it was only 15. Not that that makes it any better, but like could have been so much worse. So they, one train hit the other just hard enough that they all... Had to go to the hospital, and on March 10th, 1998, a five-year-old boy was seriously injured when his foot became wedged between the passenger car's running board and the edge of the platform after the train temporarily paused before pulling into the unloading area on California Screamin'. All of the toes on his left foot required amputation. Disneyland has since obviously made improvements to the ride that would not allow that to happen if a limb was able to stick out. Um, the family claims that the park would not acknowledge the accident as the reason for doing this pain to their boy. They never took ownership of it, didn't pay for any of his medical bills, did not give them any sort of settlement. What year was this? 1998? 1998. Mm, okay. And they just kind of had to live their lives with it, all of his toes being amputated as it being their fault, which I, he is the one to stick his limbs out, but also he was a five-year-old boy, so... Cool. Well, I will never go to a amusement park again. Nope. Um, Terrifying. I have to give you a nerd commentary. Nerd alert. California Adventure was not open in 1998. Um, All right. um, The rest of my stories I'm going to include on the newsletter. They're unfortunately the darker, more depressing ones, but that's usually kind of my shtick on the newsletter, so it fits. Ooh. 1998 was correct. It was Big Thunder Mountain. Oh. I literally just put in like five-year-old boy foot and it said Big Thunder Mountain. Unfortunately, one of the articles misquotes it as California Screaming, but this one seems to be correct because I see two links leading to it. So yes, Big Thunder Mountain, amputated toes. Goodbye. That's it. (laughs) All right. Time for the big kahuna. Alex, let's take this episode home. Okay. So this would, of course, not be an episode talking about the rides that are most relevant and iconic to keep it weird if we didn't talk about 
the potentially greatest Disney attraction or greatest theme park ride of all time. Haunted Mansion? The Haunted Mansion. Oh, God, it's so good. I love it so much. It's so good. The story, the world building. Halloween and Christmas are always the best times to be on it. Disagree, but go on. Okay. Okay. Actually, <laughs> it's just my opinion. It's just one woman's opinion. One woman's opinion, please. Just because I'm for anyone who doesn't know, Christmas. if you've ever yeah been uh, to Disneyland or Disney World during Halloween or Christmas, when they change over for Halloween, they basically change the whole ride into Nightmare Before Christmas, which is really wonderful. But I just have such a soft spot for the original for the classic, yeah. classic ride that Again, like to each throne. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. But the Haunted Mansion is another ride that has history to it that mm-hmm. I think is super interesting and yeah. kind of it's nice to have the background into why it is so unique and why it has had the impact that it had. Yeah. The Haunted Mansion was part of Walt's plans for his park from the beginning. Love that. And in 1951, the very first sketches for what at the time was called Mickey Mouse Park and was just going to be built on a strip of land across the street from the Burbank studio. Nice. Included a nice little church and a graveyard and a Victorian haunted house up on the hill. But obviously, based on his filmography and the films that he made, Walt like did really like scary things and yeah liked, haunted um, woods and haunted homes and yeah and yeah eerie. he liked tapping into fears. Um, that was a part of, of all the movies he made. So Walt knew he always wanted to have a classic haunted house in his park, but Disneyland opened in 1955 without the Haunted Mansion. In 1957, Walt tapped one of his animators, Ken Anderson, to begin developing this haunted house concept. And around the same time, Walt Disney came up with the idea of adding a land to his park that was built and themed all around New Orleans and creating New Orleans Square. At the time, initial plans for this land included a wax museum that would become ultimately Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay, well, that Um, makes sense. That makes so much sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, right. But also the wax museum would have been really cool. But also yes. <laughs> I would have uh, taken a wax museum in uh, sure. New Orleans Square, but it's fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was originally, the idea was a Victorian, which I believe yeah. that's what it is at Disney World, right? Is more well, Victorian and then Disneyland is the New Orleans sort of. Yeah, I think architecturally you would still call the Disneyland version Victorian. Oh, um, really? Yes. And the Disney World version, uh, I, f- I forget what style you would call it but i guess i always looked at the disneyland version as more like a plantation yeah it, yeah for it sure. does come off that way for yeah 100 sure. there's there's connections between those styles and so walt initially was calling this a retirement home for ghosts was how yeah. he was i love like it that's really fun from the beginning and the initial designs that this artist ken anderson made were of a really rundown Old broken windows, like overgrown the gardens, haunted, haunted house. Mm-hmm. And Walt saw that and he said, no, this is not what I want no, this in is a my home Disneyland. For ghosts. Yeah. yeah, it's going to look nice and still. He had a famous quote that said, we'll take care of the outside. Let the ghosts take care of the inside. I like it. Disney's like, I even have a wallpaper in mind. Yeah, <laughs> I have it all decorated already. <laughs> Around the time that 
Ken Anderson was was developing the outside, the look of the outside of the attraction. At least he and maybe Walt also, it seems like there's a little bit of discrepancy in this, took a trip to the Winchester Mystery House Love up it. in San Jose. Lauren, have you ever been there? No. No. You've no. been there? Oh, I've have. been there, guys. Okay. What? How have you never told Hold me that? Hold on. But also, <laughs> relax. <laughs> Hold the phone. We should go before I move. Oh. One last hurrah, yeah. one last trip. <laughs> We've talked about it on the cast. We have Don't talked get about us it wrong. Yeah, we absolutely should. The Winchester Mystery House, of course, famous for being built by the wife of the founder of the Winchester, Winchester Rifles. Rifle. So she created all of these staircases to nowhere, doors that open to Nothing. brick walls, no. yeah. um, secret passages. She essentially just kept building and building and building inside the home to appease the spirits that haunted her. Yeah, and potentially But was to... it her conscience? Mm. Will we ever know? We Go will on. never know. <laughs> no, um, and the, what I've always heard is is that she wanted to confuse the ghosts yeah. so they couldn't find her and like which I love that mindset. Yeah, like, I love I'm the gonna idea. get you caught in a maze. I know, I love <laughs> the idea of a ghost going up the stairs and be like, oh, "Wow. <laughs> She's gone." I can't. Staircase to nowhere. <laughs> Uh, um, (laughs) so while they kind of set aside the exterior of the house for a little while this guy ken anderson began developing stories for what would happen inside there were a few different ideas that he looked at one involving a pirate who was killed under unknown circumstances who came back to haunt um, another where the story was that this house had been taken from the south and moved to Disneyland and no matter what the Disney designers did and changed about the house itself it always went back to its haunted state. Creepy, okay. Um, There was another version uh, concept where Walt Disney was going to be your guide through the house himself so you'd be hearing his voice. That's kind of cool. Which yeah, kind of would have been cool. And then the last concept that got the most momentum was the idea of theming it around the story of the Headless Horseman. Again, oh, coming back to our, our boy Ichabod. Ichabod. Yeah. Um, Ichabod. Ichabod. Remember the frogs? <laughs> yes. Remember? <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> so creepy. I don't know if I could watch that alone in Duh. this house at night. Oh, it's legit creepy. About the same time, in 1959, Walt tapped two other people from animation that he loved a lot, a guy named Yale Gracie and a guy by the name of Rolly Crump, who began working on Rolly illusions. Crump? Yes. Rolly Crump? Sorry, I just couldn't Rolly. like sweep past that name. No, okay. um, no we're not going to ignore that. Rolly Crump. Wow. Okay. Nickname? Um, so Rolly was famous for being like a tinkerer mm-hmm. around, the, around the animation studio and around Imagineering, creating a lot of kinetic sculptures, and he had a background in magic that was was really great and um yale yale was a background and layout artist in animation and had a talent for model making and thinking outside the box so walt put these two guys together and said like make just play have fun so they apparently spent like a year just working on different gags and like effects to make cool things for the haunted mansion one of which being the iconic Pepper's ghost effect, which is essentially an old stage technique where you use a pane of glass Mm -hmm. and illuminate something on one side of a pane of glass that then when viewed through the pane of glass, kind of you see the reflection of what's on the other side and it can kind of create a transparent Yeah, but you can see through it. 
Yeah, you yeah. can see through. Yeah, exactly. Which is essentially what's happening in the dance hall. It's exactly right? what's oh, yeah. happening Which is in the, the dance hall. Best part of yes. the ride. Yeah, which it's is so, so cool. simple, but yeah. it's it's but so. But you effective. can't tell what's happening. Yeah. Like you, you watch it and you're like, "How is this?" Every happening? time it's like Alex has explained it to me, and I will still sit there and you'll say, "This still is magic." Look for it. Yeah. yeah, you'll still like, look. But for I don't it. see. Yeah, like, I don't. I don't see, see those how details. they're making this. Yeah. It's so magical. It looks so good. So Yale and Rolly set to work and worked in a in a studio for a year. They love to tell the story of how one night they they basically had all of these effects and ghostly effects set up in their office and set an infrared sensor one night before they left for work with the hopes of scaring the cleaning crew. Oh man. And triggering all of their effects the moment that the janitors entered the room and they they say that they came into work the next day and saw a broom <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> And we're then told you guys are going to have to clean your own your own workspace. That's hilarious. The janitors are not coming back. I also love that I was like the janitors put in their two week notice. Yeah, um, and they didn't show up for their shit. They didn't uh-huh. make it. My gosh. <laughs> Does um, anyone know why? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. So construction on New Orleans Square started in the meantime in 1961. With the announcements that Pirates of the Caribbean and this haunted house were going to be a part of it. The haunted house itself was built um, and finished in 1963, but it didn't have a ride in it. There was no ride building. It was just the house. And they still didn't know what they were going to do. At the time, all of the Imagineers got pulled into working on the 1964 World's Fair in New York. Oh, okay. Which is where... Disney created most famously. It's a small world for Pepsi and UNICEF at the at that pavilion. Ooh. Great mo- great moments with Mr. Lincoln for ladies. The president's hall of presidents. Pre- president night of nothing. The Illinois Pavilion. Oh, oh of course, yeah. Like, it's Lincoln. That's exactly what I was. We should have known because it's Lincoln. Is it and because we are the Lincoln. land of Lincoln. We yeah, do sorry, love that was Lincoln. Yeah, sorry. So there was no time to work on the Haunted Mansion. As everybody came back from the World's Fair, Ken Anderson moved back to animation. Walt Disney tapped into two more animators. One guy by the name of Mark Davis, who was famous for being like a gag man, a humorous guy, mm-hmm. and Claude Coates, who was a background artist. Mark Davis believed that this haunted house should be really funny and lean into the humor of ghosts. Yeah. Meanwhile, Which Claude Coates thought we should make this dark and scary and and lean into all of that. So the two of them butted heads. And even it's said that Walt enjoyed putting people together who had opposing opinions or even at times. Did he just want to see the drama? Yeah, I think he did. Or he, he even put people together who hated themselves uh, or hated not hated themselves. <laughs> who really just couldn't uh, <laughs> handle being themselves. Really insecure. <laughs> But also uh, sometimes, sometimes really great stuff comes, comes out, out of that. those opposing yeah. viewpoints. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I mean, you can see it when you ride the Haunted Mansion. I was you can say, see you the see funny things sides. and you can see the really, really scary stuff and you can see the dark stuff. It's a yeah. lot of both. Exactly. So, But it could have been a mess. They were trying to balance everything. There was also the, the added factor of our guy, Rolly Crump. Rolly Crump. During this development was making sketches for a lot of just random concepts he had um one of it which was this scary creepy chair that had a face and talked to you a bat chandelier 
man-eating plants in a conservatory yeah, like yeah. and a candle man who was made of dripping wax okay. and Don't like lit that. with flames. That's not terrifying. Um, really, if you look at the sketches and we can, I can show you them later, it, it really does feel like almost like Tim Burton-esque yeah. in its concepts. And Walt really liked it. He liked all the sketches. Everybody who saw it thought there was something to it, but they all thought this is just really weird. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know where it fits. And so one day Walt came to Rolly and said, I've got it. I figured it out. We're going to call it the Museum of the Weird. And this is going to be a Aww. space like alongside the ride itself that you can walk into while you're waiting to get on and just explore for as long as you want and look at all the details and then get on the main ride itself. What a great idea. That didn't happen. Did that it, happen? You're right. Yeah, okay. Spoiler I was like, alert. I was like, happen. have I fucking yeah. missed this? <laughs> I'm sad that like, it why? didn't get off the ground because it's a great I'm idea. I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe it still could. Museum of the Weird is like us. It's speaking to yeah, us. Yeah, they made right? it for us. Exactly. But in 1966, Walt Disney died, mm -hmm. throwing the project into even more chaos and uncertainty as people were trying to figure out what the storyline was, yeah. what's the balance between humor and 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 scary but in the midst of that uncertainty there's an, an imagineer named bob gurr who was kind of the the mechanics guy now i'm really talking too much about names of imagineers and i'm sorry but he had the idea to utilize some technology they had made for the world's fair and turn it into these this ride system where you would ride around in a sort of a um Doom buggy? A buggy, yes, that could rotate and focus your attention at certain scenes in a really cinematic way and also have a really high throughput because at that time they weren't sure, is this going to be a walkthrough attraction? Yeah. Is it yeah. going to be a ride? And so they, they came up with the idea to use this system that was called an Omnimover and painted black and dubbed the Doom Buggies, so which good. really helped to click or helped to give them some more momentum. And there was also then a writer by the name of X Atencio. What? X Atencio? I'm not sure. I don't remember what now. his actual first name is, but he just went by X. Okay. Oh, um, mysterious. And he the also artist wrote formerly known as. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he also wrote the script for Pirates of the Caribbean and wrote the song Yoho Yoho A Pirate's oh, Life fine. for Me. Oh, that's one of my um, favorite songs. So X was brought in to work on the story for for the haunted house and he pulled in everything brought it all together balancing the scary stuff with the funny yeah utilizing the doom buggy really leading into the ghost host narrator mm -hmm. uh, which we love as the common thread pulling it all together and then also he worked alongside a composer buddy baker to write the lyrics for the song grim grinning ghosts mm -hmm. which is of course, now iconic as the theme song for the ride. Oh, yes. And inadvertently kind of created this three-act structure where you go in and you start, you're in the stretching room. It's really pretty scary. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, with an organ going and, and you see the ghost host hung from the ceiling. Yeah, he killed himself. After That's pretty dark. suicide, yeah. I'm surprised um, that that's still in the ride, to be honest. I agree. Showing him hanging up yes. there, it's always like, are we There's always still okay? my oh. way. Uh-huh. And then you go into the ride itself, and at the time when you go into the uh, seance room, that's when Madame Madam Leota, mm -hmm. who was played by an imaginary Jennifer Tilly. Named, well, in the movie, thank <laughs> you. Okay. Kidding. In the ride, she's played, she's played by an imagineer named really? Leota Toombs, actually. Her last name was legit Toombs. 
Who and wow. she played are these people Madame with Leota, these names? Which is awesome. But at that point, then the the ghosts come out and um, really take really over gets the joint. Into like yeah. the Yale Gracie stuff, like mm-hmm. the Pepper's ghost in the ballroom and the creepy stuff in the attic before you then leave the attic and go into the graveyard yep. where it's and just becomes singing. a swinging party yeah. and silly gags and things so jumping fun. out at you and the the hitchhiking ghosts mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. follow you home and it's really like so many crazy different things that shouldn't work together but they but do somehow but boy, it they does do. yeah do you believe the the storyline that you actually end up dying <laughs> When you jump out of the window? I was reading something that talked about potentially that flight out the window having meaning. Yeah. I forget what it was. But ultimately, I think the fact that the ride kind of ends with the ghosts like... Saying, hurry back. Saying, hurry back. And Don't like, forget these your ghosts are going to follow you home. I think kind of debunks the fact that that you died because it is kind of interesting that you like fall or leap or whatever out of an attic window and into a graveyard. And now all of a sudden things are directly reacting with you in the graveyard. I know it. It's a theory. And like there's the only human that you see on the ride, which is the 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 graveyard keeper or whatever. The really skinny dog. Yeah. Who's like shaking and holding a lamp. And it almost seems like he's scared of you coming through. The ghost that is entering. It's the first time you're talked to really I mean I guess Madame Leota but not really she's just sort of talking to the room right but like you're the first time it's the first time they're like singing to you. Yeah it does kind of seem like oh now you're a ghost. I don't hate that theory at all. I've always thought it made yep. sense. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, like like you were saying, I think the key element really is like how just insanely great the script is and the so narration good. is. Mm-hmm. Like when hinges creak in doorless chambers and strange and frightening sounds echo through the halls, whenever candlelights flicker where the air is deathly still. <laughs> That is the time when ghosts are present, practicing their terror with ghoulish delight. I mean, come on. Oh, it's perfect. Like, it's, it's, like, it's like poetry. It really is. It I really is. I love it. That's the key thing that, that really pulls it all together. Finally, six years after the house itself had been finished being built in 1969, the Haunted Mansion opened three years after Walt had passed away. And a week later, Disneyland set a single day attendance record. Damn. Um, because Wowie. there were 82,000 people there or something in one day. And then probably most famously, a few years ago, added the Hatbox Ghost, mm-hmm. which so actually cool. did exist I in was the first say, few months original. of the ride. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the effect never worked because they couldn't get the lighting right. Uh, and so they pulled it out. And it kind of, people at some point, people were like, did this really exist or am I <laughs> yeah. imagining it? Is that a fever it's dream? It's a Mandela effect uh, situation. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's what people didn't know because there's no video. Yeah. True. Um, another version of the Haunted Mansion opened at Hong Kong Disneyland. In this case, it was called Mystic Manor um, and didn't have the ghost story because of differences in kind of how ghosts are seen in traditional Chinese culture. So in this case, there is a devious monkey who finds (laughs) finds an enchanted music box, opens the enchanted music box and brings to life everything comes, yeah. in the okay. house right. comes I'm to sure life and like and is beauty playful. and the beast yeah, style kind, yeah kind of 
Of course, the legacy and impact now of the Haunted Mansion is well-known and well-loved. Welcome, foolish mortals. Um, just gives you goosebumps. Ooh, it sure does. I love it. I love the Haunted Mansion. Okay, that's all the time we have this week for Keep It Weird. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our show. And thank you so much, Alex, for joining us and teaching us oh so much about Disney rides. Thank you for letting me just nerd out. Just totally nerd out. Live my podcast dreams. <laughs> this Talk was your big Disney moment. <laughs> do you have anything that you want to plug for yourself? Do you want uh, listeners to follow you anywhere? Do you have any upcoming projects? Do you have anything close to your heart that you want people to check out? No, I don't. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing going on. No, I don't. I, I have do nothing. Not. It's um, still COVID. No one has anything going on. True. Nothing. I mean, your biggest plug should be go check out Illuminate. On oh, yeah, YouTube. yeah. Go to YouTube. Oh, yeah. Even your Instagram is fucking difficult. I'm sorry. I know that it's like your name or whatever, but it's like no one name. has name. Nobody understands it. R A N D L E. Rand Love. Rand Love. It would be cool. <laughs> it is cool. Uh, no, we'll tag you in some stuff so people know where to find you. So, but thank you so much for coming on our show and for supporting us for five years. We love you. Without coming on the show, <laughs> you, you did support and listen, and you were great in other ways. But happy to have you finally on yeah. the show. Me too. Hopefully, now people won't think I'm a monster. <laughs> Definitely not. Just busy. As usual, please follow us at Keep It Weirdcast on social media. If you want to help produce the show, head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast and donate one, five, or ten dollars. And in return, in return, you'll get bonus episodes, a monthly newsletter, discounts on merch, and a shout out on the show. And if you just want to rep your favorite pod, head to our Etsy store at etsy.com slash shop slash keepitweirdpodcast. Alex, what's our sign off this week? I should have been ready for this. Everyone says it. Everyone and says no that. one's ready for it. That's the best. That's the beauty part. of it. Hurry back. Oh. Hurry, Hurry back. back. Don't forget your death, death certificate. certificate. <laughs> and keep it weird. Weird. Just keep it weird. Keep it weird. Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse.